We spent the last four, four weeks or so kind of going through this process of salvation and then talking about the process of sanctification and hopefully getting to the point where we are now, every single person in this room, are Christians who are moving. We are not stuck Christians. We are not false believers. We are not um, undecided. We have made the decision, and now we are moving. A lot of you stood up last week and committed to moving, and, and hopefully that's been going well. Hopefully it wasn't something that Thursday morning you woke up and that was out of your mind. Hopefully that's something that's still in your mind, and you're still in the process of moving. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But it is a process, again, to remember to, to move closer to Jesus and moving closer to the person that we were created to be and moving out of our sin and into him, and that's a process we need to keep moving. But the thing is, is that when we become Christians, when we first kind of um, believe in Jesus and who he was and dedicate our lives to him, Satan notices that. And then when we decide to be moving Christians, like a lot of us did last week, um, and we decide to, to start being a true, productive Christian, Satan really notices that, and he does everything that he can to trip us up and to turn our focus away from God. That's what he wants, is he wants us away from Jesus. Um, and he wants our focus to be off of Jesus, and he, he does a lot of different things to do that. I have a couple of Bible passages that we can look at quick. You don't have to open your, actually, maybe we should, because I don't think we have another one. We'll do the next one. Uh, John 10.10 is going to be on the screen. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. All right, so this, the thief obviously is referring to Satan. And all he wants is to take from us. He wants to take everything from us, our happiness, our joy, um, everything good. He wants to take from us. He wants to take our lives, not just our earthly life, but more importantly, he wants to take our eternal lives away from us. He wants us to die that second time. After your earthly death, he wants us to die and to go to hell and to spend eternity there with him. I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter 5, 8. Don't show it on the screen yet because I don't want them to cheat. Uh, what's going on here? Have you been looking at this the whole time? Well, maybe, maybe it'll grow on you. 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, 8. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe I'll make you read it again. First Peter comes right before Second Peter. <laughs> I'm just saying that because I don't know exactly what comes before it. Regular Peter. <laughs> the regular book of Peter. First Peter 5.8. So we learn here that Satan is our adversary. He is our enemy. He is against us, right? Uh, and he's the one who is scheming and planning to steal us, to steal us from Jesus and to steal our focus, ultimately to steal us from Jesus. But the thing about, excuse me, the thing about Satan is that he is limited in what he can do. He has limited power. Um, there are things that he cannot do. There are things that he can do and things he can't do. We see this in the story of Job. If you read the story of Job, you see Satan goes up to heaven and has this conversation with God and and God kind of brings up Job, and Satan's like, hey, well, let me do this, right? So he, in essence, has to get permission from God to do certain things um, to people. So he's limited in what he can do, but he has tools at his disposal um, that he uses very effectively, um, that he uses quite often, too. He lies to us quite a bit. Uh, he tempts us, and he uses trials and, and things in our life, situations in our life, to kind of steal our focus from Jesus as well. But we're going to talk about one specific tool that he uses tonight quite a bit, and that's distractions. 
Um, we all have a lot of distractions in our life, different things that kind of are, are blurring our vision and taking our focus off of God and where it should be. There are probably a million things that I could talk about, but there's two big ones um, that we're, we're going to talk about here tonight. The first is false Christianity. What I mean by that is, is I'm kind of referring to this experience-based Christianity. Uh, the church the past 10, 20 years or so has really been focused on this experience Christianity where we, we push and strive for this experience. Does everyone kind of get where I'm, where, where I'm coming from that? Uh, we're looking for this experience, for this feeling, for this emotional thing to happen in a service. And I love summer camp. I love youth convention. Um, a lot of great things happen at both of those things. But one of my gripes with, with these events is that we're kind of seeking this experience. We're seeking this feeling there. Like that's our intention is to go there to seek this emotional experience. Uh, there's a lot of emotions that come with being in a large room full of charged up students and peers, kids your age, uh, with cool lights and, and great worship songs and worship bands, with emotional speakers who are yelling at you and then crying the next second, and then these emotional altar calls. These things all kind of work together, and, and obviously there's nothing wrong with these things. These things are, are all good things, right? I think Nick would agree with me in the back of the room talking to Drea. Get that internet world? But there's, there's something when all these things kind of work together to create this experience, and, and the experience itself isn't a bad thing. But when it stands on its own, that's when it becomes a problem. Right? This experience-based Christianity doesn't last on its own. It doesn't produce true Christians that produce fruit on its own. On its own, it's just a false Christianity. See, when you, when you are an experience-based Christian, um, when the experience goes, when it goes away, when it's done, so does your Christianity, so does your faith that goes away with it. That's why a lot of times when we go to these camps and conventions and things like that, we have these great experiences, and then we just come home and it goes away, right? We, um, because our faith is, is experience-based. It's, it's centered on that. And the problem with experiences at the end, we forget about them. They don't last. They don't sustain us when we get back into reality with the pressures of life and the distractions that come in life. So if your faith is going to last, it needs to be less experience-based, and it needs to be driven by the truth and, and the authenticity of the Christianity faith, and that comes in Jesus. But what is true Christianity? True Christianity only comes when we understand what we talked about this entire month. When we understand sin, when we understand what our sin means for us, when we understand Jesus and the price that he paid to take our sin from us and to make us justified in the eyes of God. When we keep moving out of our sin and moving towards him, when we understand and do these things, then we become a follower of Jesus. Feeling a tingle up your back or crying at an altar doesn't make you a follower of Jesus on its own. Without that knowledge of our sin and Jesus and what he did, that's nothing. That experience is really nothing. It's fake. It's a distraction. So that's our first Christianity. It's kind of an ironic one. Uh, the false Christianity. And then the second distraction is busyness. Busyness, you can write that down. We, um, we're very good at helping Satan with this one. We almost make it too easy for him. Uh, we jam our life so packed full of stuff, from school to homework to sports and other extracurriculars to friends and relationships, 
and so many other things. When we do this, we're just kind of giving him ammunition. He doesn't really have to even do much to take our focus away from God because we're, we're kind of doing it for him already. But he kind of takes those distractions and he magnifies them. He even makes them bigger um, to cloud our focus even more and to turn our focus away from Jesus in hopes of ultimately making us completely disregard and forget about Jesus completely. I want you just to think about your daily life. Think about the things you do every day on a weekly basis maybe. Do you have like any free time at all? I feel like it's almost unpopular, like, it's, like we're being lazy if we have any free time. But that's completely backwards. I mean, think about your, your life and your schedule. Do you have any specified time for Jesus that you spend praying and reading your Bible? Does that exist? Or maybe on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, how much of a priority is going to church for you? Is it something where you just kind of feel it out and see how you feel in the last second? Do you go on Sunday mornings? Do you even set your alarm and try? Or do you just kind of wake up when you wake up and see how you feel? Do you ever go? Unfortunately, the church is really losing its sense of importance in our culture. We've talked about this quite a bit. And I think one of the main reasons why it's losing importance is because we love to be busy. We think busyness is a good thing and all the distractions that come with it. When we pack our lives full of other stuff, it's usually God that gets pushed out. Or it's usually church that gets left out because we have all this other stuff going and we think that that is more important than our personal time with Jesus every day or that time that we have to go to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays. Our priorities are so switched around that we usually wait until everything else is done before we spend our personal time with Jesus. And most of the time, what happens is we just don't. We're too tired or we have too many other things to do to think about, so we just don't. We don't spend time with him. And then the more that we forget, the more that we push Jesus to the side, the more difficult it is to get back into it. The longer that you go without going to church, the longer that you go without having your personal devotional time, it's going to be so much harder to get back into it. We cannot let our guard down, and we have to refocus our priorities, and we have to make sure that God is the center of our lives, or we're going to be so vulnerable to the attacks of Satan, and we're going to really be vulnerable to slipping backwards into backsliding into falling away from Jesus, and hopefully that's what none of us want. So, obviously we know we should be centered on God, right? We should be centered on our relationship with Him. That should be our focus. But how do we stay centered? How do we stay connected? There's two things that we need to do is we need to, first of all, stay connected to others. Stay connected to others. The people around you in your life drastically affect you as a person, your behavior, how you act, where your life is going. I've said this before, but there's a quote out there that says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? You've heard that, I'm sure. And it's so true. I mean, you can tell by the people you have around you, the people you hang out with, who the person you're going to be in the future. Because we are always so affected by the people around us. Right? We are driven, we are motivated to be the people who we're going to be by the people around us. Now look at the people that you have around you in your life. What does that show you about your future? Is it good or bad? Which direction are you heading? 
See, if the people that you hang with aren't followers of Jesus, then it's going to be very difficult for you to succeed in your true, authentic Christianity. It just is. If you're not surrounded by people who, who are mature Christians or at least Christians at some point, it's going to be very difficult for you. And that's why the church is so, so important for us. In the Bible, the church is kind of compared to being like, like a body, like a human body with each member being a different part of the body, right? Like the arms or the eyes or the nose or the brain or the legs or whatever. And these things on their own are completely useless. A leg without a body is just a leg that's motionless, just laying there and creepy, right? Or even a brain, which is like the, the hub of the body. Without a body, it has nowhere to receive signals, to send signals. It's useless without a body. And the same goes for us. We cannot survive. We cannot be productive if we're not with the body, if we're not going to church and attending church and engaging in church. It's so crucial to have the church alongside of you to help guide you in your life, to hold you accountable, and to support you through the tough times that you're going to have in life. But if you have people around you, good Christian people, then you're going to be so much better off. Now, for two seconds, let me tell you the difference and talk about the difference between going to church and engaging in church, all right? Because it's, it's one thing to go to church, and that's fine and dandy. And I notice a lot of you have been going to church on Sundays, and that's awesome. It would be my dream to see every one of you every Sunday. That would be awesome, and I would cry tears, and that would be great. But there's a huge difference between going to church and engaging in church. Sometimes we go to church just to kind of mark it off our list, and we kind of wake up and maybe don't have the best attitude. We go there, we sit in our pew, uh, kind of frowny. We don't really, really worship. We might maybe lip sync. Maybe we'll do that. Uh, but then the message will come around. We'll just kind of, we won't take notes. We won't really engage. We won't really think about what's being said. And we'll just kind of leave and just check it off our list. Obviously, that's not what the point. The point of church is to come and be ready to engage in church, to have a good attitude about it, um, to, to come ready to give the uh, true worship that God deserves, and then to be ready to receive from the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to, to receive what God is trying to communicate to the church that morning. That's what engaging His church is, and that's what we need to be doing. We can't just be going to church, but we need to be engaging in church and taking advantage of the time that we have in His presence, right? Church is so that we can praise God and that we can worship Him. That's, that's the first purpose. And the second purpose is so that we can grow, so that we can receive from God, and that we can grow as a Christian and as a disciple. So church is really crucial. But also friends. Having the right friends is really important, uh, especially for uh, just for students like you, for teenagers, because a lot of a good chunk of the life of your life is spent with your peers, your classmates, your friends in school. So it's really important that you have the right friends. I want you to ask yourself this question. Are the friends that you have, are they helping or are they hurting your ability to be a follower of Christ? Are they helping you? Are they motivating you? Are, you, are they pushing you to be a better Christian or are they holding you back and leading you a different way? I know this is easier said than done, but it, it might be time to weed out some of those friends who are pulling you backwards, who are pulling you away from Jesus, and it's time to be more intentional when you're looking and seeking out friends, to make sure you're looking for the right kind of friends. So we need to stay connected to others, and then we need to obviously stay connected to God. 
There are two ways we stay connected to God. Does anyone have any guesses as what they are? Prayer. Prayer. What's the other one? Prayer and Bible, my people. I, I basically teach the same message every week, just in a different way, right? That's okay. So the first one is prayer. The first way we stay connected to God is through prayer. Like I've said a hundred billion times, prayer kind of invites God to be a part of our lives, right? It opens that, that line of communication between us and God, and it makes us more aware of his interventions in our life and his, just his general presence, right? I've said this again a hundred times, that, you know, we, we tend to go through our day without really even noticing God's existence, right? Because we're so focused and busy doing this and doing that, but God is there. And when we're praying, when we're praying uh, more frequently, when we have a regular prayer life, um, it kind of makes us more aware of Him and His presence. But when we pray, let me say this. <clears throat> a lot of times when we pray, we tend to pray, give me prayers. We say, God, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. And it tends to be really selfish, and, and self-seeking and self-centered. But when we're praying, we're supposed to pray like Jesus did, right? You've heard the Lord's Prayer. Right? I'm not going to recite it right now, but a lot of us have probably heard it. But in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us that we need to start praying by praising Him, right? By telling God how amazing He is and all the things that He's done for, the, for us and, and just who He is. And then, then Jesus tells us to, to seek His kingdom, to seek His will. A lot of times when we're praying, we're kind of praying with our will in mind, with what we want, Right? That's a lot of the give me's is give me this, give me this, and we're praying for our will to be done. But when we pray, we need to put the focus on God and say, God, whatever you want, Lord, that would be done. And then we can spend some time asking for those things, asking for, for provision, those things that we need. And then we can spend some time asking for forgiveness because we all make mistakes. Right? And you could pray probably eight times a day, and every time you would have new sins to ask for forgiveness for. And then Jesus wraps up his prayer by by uh, requesting deliverance from temptation and from evil to stand fast in the face of temptation. Right, so when you pray, pray for guidance. Pray that God would use you and give you opportunities to be used. Just, just talk to him. Just talk to him like you would a friend. Confide in him. Have those conversations with him. If you, the more you treat God as real, the more he's going to become real to you. Does that make sense? Um, obviously, God is real, and he's not going to be more real just because you're realizing but the more you treat him as real, the more he's going to become real to you. Like he's going to be an active participant in your life. And that's ultimately what we want. So we stay connected to God through prayer and then lastly through the Bible. Through the Bible. So if you don't read the Bible, I mean you're going to have trouble. I don't know how many different ways to say that. I feel like I'm running out of ways to say that. But if you don't read the Bible, you, you can't really be connected to God. They're very, it's very difficult to be connected to, to God if you're not reading his word. Right? The Bible tells us everything that we need to know about how we're supposed to live, uh, about where our beliefs need to line up. But more than that, it teaches us a lot about God. It teaches us how much he loves us, how he desires to be a part of our life. We see him interact with others. Uh, we see him hatch this master plan to draw us near to him through the death of his son. Uh, we see that through from the Old Testament even, this plan that, that God has to, to bring Jesus to earth and to have him die to take our sins from us. Sometimes we, we pray, right? Maybe you've done this. Maybe you've sat and you, you've prayed this prayer and, and you ask God to speak to you. You say, God, just speak to me. 
But what's so kind of interesting is that he already has. He's spoken quite a bit to us. And we have access to all his words right here in this book. But are you reading it? Not just reading it, but are you studying it? It's one thing to kind of have a little thing pop up on your phone and say, oh, John 3.16 says this, 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 and just to kind of go on through the day, or to pick up your Bible and flip it open and just be like, ooh, okay, cool, and to be done with it. That's not quite what we're looking for. We're looking for uh, studying the Bible, to engage with it, to, to read it, but not just read it, but to study it, to see what it's really trying to say, and to try your best to understand it. Not if you don't understand something, just move on. But try to really hash it out and to see what's being said in that part. God is trying to communicate to us, but we're not listening because we're not reading this. If we're going to be connected to God, we need, we need to be in the Word. We need to be studying the Bible. There's so much out there that are, that, so many different things that are distracting us. They're trying to steal our focus. And Satan uses these things very, very effectively to steal our attention away from God. We know this. We understand this. But now we need to act on it. We need to move. We need to do something. So I want to ask you a simple question. How distracted are you, just in general? Do you usually have a lot of stuff going on? Are you super busy? Are you just constantly distracted? Maybe you're distracted by this experience-based Christianity. What is it? What is the thing that is distracting you the most? What do you need to change? What do you need to adapt in your life to eliminate the distractions in your life. What is it? Odds are it's probably not going to be an easy thing for you to do. Whether it's friends or some extracurricular or a relationship or something else, what do you need to do? What do you need to change, adapt, or eliminate to get rid of those distractions in your life? Whatever it is, you need to do it. I mean, it's the knowing versus doing. It's one thing to know, but if you're not doing it, then what's the point? Right? If you're going to actively pursue this life as a Christian, as a true follower, you need to get rid of these distractions, these things that are taking your focus away from God. Because God desires and he needs to be your only focus, your central focus, and we need to be centered on him. And if we're not, we're just missing it. So what do you need to do? Whatever it is you need to do, do it. Don't wait. Do it. Let's pray. Dear God, we're grateful for you. We're grateful for who you are God, and all that you've done for us. God, that you continue to forgive us even if we don't, or even when we don't deserve it, God. Oh, we're so sorry for uh, just the many ways that we're distracted on a regular basis. Or sometimes we buy into this, this experience-based Christianity and we're just kind of swayed with the, with the wind and we're not solid, we're not, we don't have that foundation. God, help us to get to that foundation and to stand on that foundation that we find in your word. God, we realize what our sin means for us and, and what Jesus did for us and what that means. God, help us get to there. God, and I just pray uh, that you would help us just to eliminate all these busy distractions in our life. And I know there's a lot of things that, especially uh, as students, or they have to go to school, they have to do these different things, God, but help them weed out the things that they don't need, the things that are taking their focus away from you, and help them to eliminate them, or at least adapt and change so that they can be more focused on you, or that they can be centered on you. Lord, help us all to, to do that, to be centered on you, to be focused on you, to be looking to you. 
Lord, to not be looking at these other things, to not be distracted by these other things, but to be focused on you. God, we love you. We trust you in your name we pray. Amen.